0: My mum is from Barbados. My dad is from Jamaica, and um, my influences on who I am is all Caribbean. Um, uh, my mum came over here when she was 11, and my dad when he was 10. My mum came over and lived in Queens Park, Kilburn, and my dad lived in Tottenham. And as a result, all my mum's side of the family stayed in Brent. And that's why um, my nan, sorry, my nan came over before my mum, obviously. My nan came over first from Barbados and she settled in Brent, in Kilburn, Queen's Park. Um, and then she sent for her, her, her children one by one. And my mum is the youngest. Um, my auntie Cathy, who's Richard's mum, was the first to get sent because she was the eldest so she could work mm-hmm. um, and then my mum was the last um, and she went to school in uh, around here and um, the stories that she comes up with of how she was treated in school is something that I would never understand to be full maybe now with Trump but something I would never understand as a child growing up in the 80s because it wasn't the 60s, where my mum would talk about children pulling out her hair, talking like it, talking about cotton wool, and my auntie. Mainly, where I spent most of my time at the weekends was St Ralph's Estate with my cousins. Um, every weekend, I was there in my cousin's room, where he had a barber shop in his room, and it was like a music hub. It's where I really got the culture um, of the evolution from reggae to dancehall, where I would always hear the new ragga songs. I would always hear it in my cousin's room. The impact that it had on me, it gave me an identity. I think a lot of black kids in the 80s struggled with identity, even though it was no racism I'd never experienced racism but I struggled with identity because the idea of what is um considered to be acceptable in English culture was not what I knew so what I knew was listening to Tiger and Shabba um and gold teeth and caps and colorful jeans and even though I was the tiny... little I mean, I was like there, Richard was like there, but we were both up in the room just absorbing all of this. And then um, I remember just conversations and haircutting and talking about the new tune and um, talking about watching the videos live and direct from Jamaica and the influence of my family and how they were was from Jamaica it was from the reggae, it was about what, it was actually quite interesting because it was trying to hold on to our culture but putting a British spin on it that's what we did and I think in the 70s and the 60s where black people were forced to create an identity in the 80s we were accepted more and therefore we kind of lost our way a bit. Um, but going to my... I mean, I mean, I say we lost our way because in Tottenham, where I lived, it was very middle class and back then. It was very middle class. So it was like everyone just kind of got along swimmingly and there wasn't much of an identity. It was just we just lived happily ever after, you know? Um, it was very... You were pigeonholed into what you're supposed to be pigeonholed into, so you would always someone's dad, black, was always on the buses. Your Asian friend, their parents owned the sweet shop. Your Chinese friend owned the Chinese shop, and it was just this is this is the world that we lived in. But here, I saw a lot more Caribbean influence in the culture, and Justin growing up. Literally in the Saint Raph's because it was a hub. It was a hub. That estate was a hub. Whenever there was an event, my, me and my cousin would sit on the hill and watch it. Watch Wembley. We can watch it literally from the hill. And it was just we'd go out on our bikes. It was a lovely place to be and a lovely place to grow up. And all we would we would go outside. We would be singing. We would be rapping. we would be doing, you know, it was childlike things. But it was influenced by everything Caribbean. And that's what was so beautiful about it. It was a very influential time to be uh, brought up in Brent. And I loved it. The other side of it as well is um, my auntie and my, my uncle. My uncle was Tony T. And this is something, he's passed away now, but this is something that I later learned. When, when I was growing up, I, I didn't understand why I felt like Bob Miley was part of our family I didn't understand it do you know what I mean and then talking to my uncle my uncle because there was pictures of him everywhere in my auntie's house and I didn't I just assumed he was part of the family but then he was on TV and I didn't get it then he passed away because so he was I was 82 I think he passed in 80 right so I didn't but then I would always call him Uncle Bob and it was a bit Thinking about it, it's a bit dysfunctional, but I didn't understand. And then, like, just growing up, talking to my uncle, talking to my dad, and my dad would be like, it's because he was always round. And my, your uncle did a lot of music with him when he was over here. And then my auntie told me more. My auntie would say, well, like, now, she only told me this about, like, four months ago, how much he would be round the house. And then it's really weird. I just didn't know how much of... I knew that my uncle, Tony, did music and I knew he had releases. I didn't know how much of an impact or how much involvement he had with Bob Marley's life when he was over here, which again is another uh, phenomenal fact of this really cultural borough. The dialect used to get me because St Raph's was the first place that I would always hear the new slang. That's another thing. We would always be saying, what does that mean? What does that mean? So my cousins, they would always be saying these words. I'm like, what? what do you mean? Black British people have an accent. But my cousins had a different accent. The cousin that just left, he speaks differently to me. He has a dialect that is specific to Northwest London black people. Every single person that I know who lives around here speaks like my family, and it's interesting that you should say that to me to ask me the, the question about the dialect, because it's not something I've ever. It is something I've always thought of, and it's something I've always said to my cousins. Why do you? Why do you not say that? Why do you not say it like that? Why do you not talk like that? um but then it kind of it, they're always like yeah but you're posh you say you don't say stuff like that it's it's a dialect and i've never y- you're right there's there's a dialect up here um caribbean people who are born here but in this area have a specific dialect only to them and it, yeah it, yeah they do and it's funny you should say that i used to always pick up the new slang words from here and they've always spoken differently to us. They've always spoken differently to us. I don't know if it's quick. I don't I don't want to call it aggressive, but it's short. And they the way that they pronounce their vowels maybe. Um, they yeah, they, they round their I don't know. I'm not gonna analyse it because I can't really, but there is a dialect, a specific black British dialect specific to Northwest. I started my career in reggae. Not only my upbringing. So my upbringing, my mum listens to almost everything, but my dad is only reggae. Nothing else. Maybe some, some Motown, but there's no strain. So in terms of my, in my music influence, I would probably say that the way that it's influenced my music is my sound is probably reggae-like in the instrumentation that I use. A lot of people have said that to me. I was with soul to soul for f- 13 years and their music is very influential, not only of, as an evolution of reggae, but of black British music. My sound sounds like them, not purposely, probably by accident, but it's literally the core of who I am is, um, Dennis Brown, um, Berris, you know, it's, uh, Bob Marley, it's Buju, um, Sanchez. I never really touched much into the lovers rock, the UK lovers rock, even though, um, that was where my career started, by doing backing vocals for lo- a lot of lovers, rock artists. My heart always gravitated towards roots, revival, deep, soulful reggae. Um, now, it's more so chronics and um, Sizzler um, than Sean Paul or, you know, The Difference. So I would say literally just because of the fact that I was brought up on the reggae music genre and then my career went into um, reggae and then soul to soul, my sound is an amalgamation of everything, all of it, and you can hear it even like the rhythm, my rhythms, my melodies, they're very, very... You can clearly define the timeline if I was to tell you who I listened to when I was growing up. You list, if you listen to my music, you can clearly define the timeline and you, can, and you can hear it. Reggae music is empowering and reggae music has always empowered me. Reggae music has made me proud to be Caribbean. It always does. Growing up now, listening to Peter Tosh. Listening. I'm not saying hearing, I'm listening, actively listening and um, picking apart and analysing Bob Marley's music and trying to understand where he was at the time when he wrote those songs. That's how now I feel empowered. Now you'll see a red, gold and green picture right as soon as you, as soon as you open my, the door to my house and there is a reasoning behind that. And all of this is from reggae. It's made me socially conscious. It's made me proud to be not only Caribbean, but a black person. And um, in reading and listening and understanding the socially conscious reggae artists um, like Dennis Brown and um, even like Luciano as well, and listening to what they talk about Um, it, it 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 makes you I say it makes you it encourages you to be proud and it encourages you to walk with your head high and it encourages you not to conform so when you say walk a certain way I guess so I walk with my head high and that is a direct result of the music that I listen to and that is a direct result of reggae reggae from my Caribbean people Um, and even, um, you know, like, people like General Levy, when you hear General Levy talk, I've spoken to him on loads of different times, different gigs, you hear how conscious he has now become, you know? And this is all from... This all stems... And, again, he's from the area as well. So it all stems from where we were and our ancestors who... Gave, who gave us this, this amazing piece of education that at the time, when I was listening to it I didn't know what they were giving us I didn't know the gift that they were giving us but their music is timeless and now you can, for me, as I'm growing up I'm bringing up my little one I'm now educating myself properly and it is all first and foremost before I picked up a book it's music, it's reggae and it's our culture. Why do I think reggae was important in bringing the community together, not only in Brent, but in London? Um, Reggae was the reason that communities were brought together, especially at a time where um, black people were feeling socially not not accepted. Um, I would say even, I think reggae is the only genre when, when anyone of any other culture tries to do it, they have to involve a Caribbean person within the project, or it just doesn't sound right. And any other genre that I can think of, they haven't had to do that in order to make it sound authentic. When you try to do reggae, you have to make sure that they have the, the authenticity of it. Um, Bringing communities together, you have the sound systems, which is, I think, such an integral part of the culture. Um, Though, you know, later on in the 90s, it it was associated with violence, which was quite sad. Um, I know that to this day, there are still um, concerts, festivals, that's reggae, Lovers rock, and it's literally people 40 years and up, and it's the same people going to the same um, raves, going to the same performances, going to see the same artists the same artists who remind them of a certain time. They're still making money. Janet Kay is still there, Maxi Priest is still there, still gigging them same songs, and it's the same people that's still going. And it's so that's what I'm saying it really, really, really unites. It unites the communities and it, and it does unite a people because it's the se- just from someone from the circuit it's the same people that goes to these gigs. These gigs are literally people who love the genre and they go there to hear it That's it. they go there to hear it and it does bring people together. The media's response to soul to soul as because I'm a newbie to be fair, being with soul to soul for. 13 years is nowhere near because they've been together for like 30. So I'm a newbie. So by the time I joined, it was already established and media response was always, hi Jazzy, you know, everyone was, ah. so, um, but I'm sure his. if you also talk to Jazzy B and Karen, Karen's got some stories to tell. Um, Karen's story in terms of media response she was always told she was too black. She was always told she's not socially acceptable, she's not pleasing to the eye. And she says that to me. She's told me that so many times. That's why she went to LA. Because over here, they were like, it's too much. You're you're just a bit too black for here. You can be there when you're with Jazzy and that little gimmick. But when that gimmick runs out, mm, no. So that's why she went to LA. No, not LA. She tried LA. They said the same thing. She went to New York. So she settled in New York. With me, um, they tried to put me in a box when I first started, the media, the press. They tried to mould me into like a sugar-coated soul, acid-jazz, reggae-influenced artist. And it wasn't me. You see my first release, everyone's like, who's that next model? Because I look like any old next model walking down the street with my straight hair, Bob pretty, that was it, propped and it wasn't me. When I look at my first release it doesn't make any sense to me because now I'm just completely out there, blonde locks, like I'm completely out there. My music is a bit more um, I would say, a bit, it, it's very empowering, still very empowering my lyrics are empowering and I want to make sure that everybody feels gets a positive experience from my music. I try not to make it too dark um, and it's a lot more Creative. it's a lot more upbeat, it's a lot more punchy, it's a lot more me. You can hear it's very, very Caribbean-British, very. There's no American influence in there at all. And I'm proud of the music that I make. Media response to me now, interestingly, is... A very positive one, I think, because I can explain the person that I am, and I'm unapologetic about who I am. And if I'm honest, I don't really care who like like well, I say who likes it or not, because I've got like people who really love what I'm doing. And I think where I love what I'm doing, and I'm following my passion, and I'm following my heart, and I'm follow and I know that I'm a representation of my culture. I'm a representation of my upbringing and of my people. So. But that came with wisdom and um, experience in the mainstream music industry that I chose to, not break away from, but I chose to not be signed anymore because I didn't like that people telling me how I need to be as a creative. So, and it's it's interesting when I had, I broke free and took a break to find myself. And I mean, it's just gone up and up and up and up since I took that break because I can now, I took that break to clearly define who I am, what am I trying to say? What's the message? Who am I trying to influence? Who is it I'm trying to attract? Am I trying to attract mainstream press? Not really, I'm trying to make sure that my people feel empowered. Um, The way that reggae impacted on politics and youth behavior, in my opinion, changes, because from mid eighties to let's say 89, let's say 85 to 89, when I first started to really hear ragga from Jamaica in St. Raph's, I saw my cousins feeling empowered, positive, culturally affected in a positive way, being proud of who they were. Um, And then let's say 92, 95 is when we started to hear um it get more commercial and then we heard the influence from reggae over here and it turned into jungle and then with jungle came violence and i mean general Levy was what 94 incredible was released in 94 and that was a positive experience, but then it ninety-four, ninety-five, ninety-six, it started to decline. Westwood started to hold a lot of jungle raves and it just jungle is reggae, raga, bashment just sped up. <laughs> that's it. It's and it, it, it brought it was such a positive thing to have someone like General Levy at number one and everyone was like, Oh my gosh, that's it. He is a representation of us and he was doing it in such a positive way. He was such a positive figure and it was very, very uh, disappointing when it changed youth behaviour to violence. And my cousin got murdered as a result of that violence in 94 November in a youth club in Halston. And it was... A result of uh, uh, with with the the jungle raves, crack, and then the the as um, you talk about the political influence, then the government just started to see jungle as negative, and then they changed the name. Let's change the drama base, dilute it a bit, make it a bit commercial, and then all the violence went, and then it became kind of underground, and it stopped being black anymore which is a real disappointment so you know and then luckily we managed to kind of turn it around and it went to house and garage and you could still hear the caribbean influences in garage but jungle was you know we had aswad doing jungle you know general levy aswad you know everyone was getting involved Any everyone that was black british reggae icons was getting involved in jungle not even British, reggae icons was getting involved in, in Jungle, there was a butcher tune everyone was getting involved in Jungle it was, it was such a shame that then the violence came with it and then that was it, Jungle disappeared and then you know the, the government was like they can't, black people cannot, sorry to be so blatant, black people cannot have their own genre because this is what happens and they just erased the genre, just so that was it and General Levy stopped, and then he came back. Luckily, he revamped his career. It's just, like, phenomenally as well. But it was such a shame. Tubby was a family friend, and Tubby was one of the integral people in my cousin's room. It would be good. Anybody who is in music, northwest London, our age, knows Tubby's music. Tubby's music is reggae. It's British reggae. He sings in a Jamaican accent and he was singing. He, he, that was a fond memory of mine, Tubby singing in my cousin's room. Tubby sang at my cousin's funeral. And when he passed, it was, you know, like, in my opinion, the borough lost an icon of the borough. People like Tubby, who are known for being from this borough and who are known for kind of being game changers in... The music because he is reggae it would be good for him to have some kind of commemoration something for Tubby um, because you ask anyone in this area who is over 30 they know him they know his music they know the gigs they know the live performances that was unlike any other um, what role can I play in making sure that the heritage is preserved I would like, I was telling Zaritha, I would like to be involved in any which way I can, whether it's performances, that's recorded, speak. I, I would like to even perform um, from, perform the work of iconic reggae artists um, as well, even doing like some Bob Marley stuff or, you know, um, talking, speaking. I would like to get involved any which way I can. Uh, maybe even just educating the youth. Yeah. You know, like some, some stuff that I've spoken about today, a lot of people, young people who are in Brent, probably don't even know these stories. They don't even know. So, yeah, I mean, I was talking to Zaritha about even getting involved in just talking, holding talks, women. Even getting Stush involved, because she's like the same as me. You hear her story, she's like a sound system. Mm-hmm. So in terms of preserving, I think it should be, yeah, pictures, performances, um, presentations on specific cultural areas.